0: Thank you. Osiris. We're just relaxing here. (laughs) Um, This is the Helping Friendly Podcast. Um, We are live um, today from... The internet um and i guess what do i want to say oh i first i want to just say that um i i got an email brian I, I haven't told you this but i got an email from rick ivy this week
1: oh my god and he was rick just rick like I hey
0: i just want to tell you like i didn't go anywhere i'm still like here and i was like man you're the best
1: the best nobody has ever supported our work more than rick ivy uh really really thankful for him and hope you're doing well rick
0: yeah that's pretty great. So he's listening I think he's listening um at this point. I mean, not immediately like he'll hear this. I guess is what I should say. Anyway, we have a lot of stuff a lot of stuff to get through today. Um, all right, this is the first episode of our new series, Brian. We will get into the rankings and all that stuff, but can you give us a thirty second summary of this series?
1: summary yes 30 seconds maybe Just <laughs> um no look we had such a great time last year doing 40 for 40 it was such a fascinating way to work through chronologically this band's history and really spend time deciding what is the show that we think exemplifies this year you know how does that impact all of us as listeners how does it impact the story that we are reliving of fish history and as we kind of came to the end of that we were like okay what do we do next and we started throwing around some ideas, and we realized like competition, listener engagement, all this sort of stuff will be fun as we go into the next year. Why don't we try to tackle a big project of putting our stamp on, you know, what do we think are the best moments in fish history? We may be wrong, we may be right, we may be somewhat wrong and somewhat right, but we decided that the best way to look at this was through tours, not just shows, not just jams, not just songs what do we think are the strongest tours and what do those tours say about fish history? So that's kind of how this came about. Did a lot of discussions in the latter part of 2023, but we are here now because we took your votes and then we took those votes and we said, okay, how can we do those votes, votes better? And we came up with this list that we are kicking off today. Does that about sum it up?
0: I think so. Megan, do you have anything to add?
2: No, just that I'm really excited. And I'd be lying if I said I wasn't a little nervous. Just thinking about how much work 40 for 40 was. It's a little daunting to start a new project, but it was also super rewarding. So I'm very excited to dive into this project. And, you know, the first episode is always funny because we're just figuring out how it's going to go.
0: I just want to say that I have an outline here and and (laughs) we're going to follow it. And it's funny that I get credited for keeping us in line when in reality i'm the least i'm the least organized person on the podcast and the least on time always so nobody needs could to not that, do this
1: without you though you know that
2: yeah so, come on rj
0: okay uh, march 1st and march 2nd we have reprise a band coming to nectars in burlington vermont the that's the birthplace of fish as, as they say or they or at least they say that's where it all began we'll be there with this band um Adrian, Cal, Chris, Scott, they're all amazing musicians. They're going to be playing two full fish shows, one on March 1st, one on March 2nd. So if you're in the area or want to come up to Burlington, it's going to be really fun. This is the first shows this this band will play, and we're going to hopefully play a bunch more um, this year sometime. So I appreciate people coming out. It's going to be really fun. Um, I have a
2: question about that. Are they playing like trying to recreate the exact show or are they going to be just playing the show, but their own way?
0: Well, Apple Music just started, so we have a little bit of Tom York here um, while you're talking. Can you guys hear that?
2: No. Okay. you're
0: good. Maybe maybe the Tom York isn't there. Um, They are going to pay tribute to specific shows. Very cool. So I think you'll hear like some, you'll definitely hear some differences in how they approach the the music if it's like you know an early show versus a later show but i also think they're not trying to recreate it note for note but it's it's definitely a new a new kind of project that you know like dark star orchestra you know but with with fish music Um, there's a lot of great fish tribute bands out there but nothing quite like this so far
2: yeah it's exciting that group is electric when they play together too
0: they really are. They're really awesome. Um, okay. We have one voicemail that actually turned into two. Um, so I'm going to just play this real quick for you all, because I think this is important.
3: Hey guys. First of all, first time, long time. My name's Brian. Um, I'm listening to the Prince Gaspian episode right now. I just wanted to say that you really want to see what this song can do. Go and listen to 416 1999 the Warfield show with Paige and Trey, playing with Phil Lesh. That Prince Caspian is incredible. I was lucky enough to be at that whole weekend of shows, including the Santana on Sunday night. Hands down, the best Prince Caspian ever played. The interplay between Ock and Trey is unbelievable. I know you have all your rules, uh, this isn't fish, but that's okay. Anyway, thanks, guys. Keep it up. Got to go back to work.
0: Bye. Okay, so that was a that was a. Th- this is the. I'm not saying that that Brian did anything right or wrong, but this is what happens when you call in the middle of a podcast, and then he. I, calls I was gonna
1: back. say I, I'm. I'm understanding yeah. <laughs> why we're about to get a second part here.
3: <laughs> Hello, this is Brian again, second time calling. Uh, <laughs> who I just mentioned the fill in friends 99 Prince on the podcast well done levi best special guest you ever had there we go <laughs>
2: amazing
1: <laughs>
3: great. Thanks for the I, I just I,
1: I i kind of appreciate that more than um if he had only called after you know and like be, because like that is a sign of a dedicated podcast listener. Like yeah. how many times have you listened to a podcast about a subject that you know about, but you really like the hosts, and you're like, why are you talking about this one thing that yeah. I want you to, I want to hear you talk about. And then they talk about it. You're like, Oh, okay. You, okay. I get it.
0: It <laughs> <That> actually happened. <laughs> <laughs> actually happened.
1: Um, love it.
0: Really great. Um, okay. So guys, we are here to do our first of 25 tours um, that we're going to run down. I think we should, we should just get into it and then we can talk about the the ranking and where it ended up versus others sure. and all that. But this is fall nineteen ninety-six, our twenty-fifth ranked tour. And we're gonna in in um obvious fashion, I think go backwards from twenty-five and we'll end up at number <laughs> one later. We're not gonna start the opposite way. But no, we're not. Maybe maybe next year. A
1: little anticlimactic in a straight. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Who knows?
0: What twenty-five. <laughs> um, so this tour was ranked number twenty-one by the fans and number 25 by us so let's let's dive into it and i guess let's just dive straight into this this kind of tour overview so what what is fall 96
2: wait before we do that rj can we tell them sorry i know it was can we tell them how we landed at it in 25 like should we tell them how we drafted this
0: um yeah
2: brian why don't you tell everybody really quickly
1: so we got the final list
2: George, he's so at me right now, he's like, January 12th.
0: I'll just take that question was, off the, the list later.
2: Okay. I'm
0: just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Brian, tell <Sorry>. us.
1: <laughs> You're good. It's, it's it's episode number one. We're just getting it right. we will awesome. be great by episode 13. Okay, we're going to be great. Um, No, so we got this, uh, the final list on Friday, January 12th. Uh, people out there voted over the course of December and early January. If you recall, we had an episode on January 12th where we drafted our favorite fish years. Seems to have been a very successful episode. We had a lot of fun. Uh, punches were thrown. People were kicked. Insults were dash you know thrown out for for a bit we like couldn't talk to each other for like two hours afterwards um but then we reconvened and said hey it seems like people like the draft it seems like we like the draft why don't we apply the draft to finalizing our top 25 tours because we always said we were going to review what the fans did and we're going to tweak it a little bit and so we went through the list and we each drafted years in order And we discussed it. We changed a little bit. There was a little bit more, bit more trades, bit more uh, collaborative work. But we landed on a list that we think makes sense based on what you guys presented to us. But also, just like I said, with a few tweaks. And as we'll get into it, this year was 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 picked as tour number twenty one by the fans. We have it just slightly lower rj back to your questions so we can get back on track since megan threw us off (laughs) course where do we go from here rj
0: um megan really won that won that draft she's won all of them so much much. so
2: (laughs) all of them yeah well the Um, draft that we did with the three of us though was over text yeah many hours and if i would take longer than three minutes i would start getting like meg question mark meg question mark question mark Like there was a lot of like pushing to make decisions quickly it was i exciting. know but
0: i think i got those too i think brian was the one sending them to both of us
2: <laughs> that tracks
1: nobody that has happen? ever accused me of being impatient ever. yeah
0: yeah <laughs> um megan do you want to are we converting meg's corner into the tour overview
2: yeah we could definitely do that
0: are you up for it's- that
2: I'm up for that, and it's pretty short, too, so it won't be as extensive as Meg's Corner, thankfully, or not. I'm not sure. But um, I can talk really briefly about what Fall 96 was. It was two months after the Clifford Ball, which we know is the first Fish Festival and the largest concert in North America that summer. This Fall 96 tour is a massive tour of 35 shows, going to run from mid-October through early December down the East Coast, the South, the Midwest, and the West, and ending in Vegas. Billy breathes comes out right before this tour right before they're going to play their fourth and fifth shows at MSG their second show at Hampton and their third Halloween musical costume show with remain in light. They also have a lot of special guests on this tour and 91 entries on the jam chart. It's a big tour. Yeah.
0: Brian. Jam charts that 96 seems like a lot. Did Zoe said 96? 91. Mm-hmm. 91. That's a, that's a lot. It's that a
1: is lot. a lot. I mean, I feel like, and we're going to get into this, but this tour has a very distinctive jamming style that, like, it sounds in between the bombastic kind of um danceable extended jams from fall 1995 with a bit of the funk that we are going to get in 1997 it's, it's really like a, a mid a middle step between one era and another and i think as a result there's a lot of jams that um while they may not be super challenging to listen to they are a ton of fun And they're really kind of contagious for fans. And I think that that's why you get a lot of jam charted uh, entries throughout the overall year. It's just, it's a really fun tour to listen to from a jamming standpoint. Um, As we'll get into full shows, that kind of goes back and forth.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. I was surprised by, like, I was surprised by a lot actually from this tour. And that's why I'm so excited about the tour. Um, it, It kind of, like, I guess, This was, to me, this was during the time when I was collecting tapes and I was getting tapes from every show. So between 95 and 98, those are the years that I was collecting and I was getting older stuff too. But 96, I was just, I was right in the middle, you know, so I'd get these, get the tapes a week, two weeks after. And I remember them like being, it was, it was very important. It felt like an important tour at the time, you know, and then I don't know. And I'm just going to go into the next, the next, um, point here just on our our themes um and then you all can say other stuff like I feel like there's this conventional wisdom that there's like a pre-Halloween 96 tour and a post-Halloween tour and I think when I was listening back there's like more phases to the tour which makes this Mm -hmm. like even more nerdy than it already was which is like (laughs) now there's like you know six eras of fall 96 or whatever but there's like October which is like you know there's this there's a mini kit kind of heaviness which we'll talk about and there's post halloween which like i i feel like listening back post halloween was kind of like a mixed bag for me like i felt like some of the sound of the tour just got like old you know because i Mm. I listened to Mm. you know a month worth of shows at that point and was like okay like this all kind of sounds the same but then i think another change happens like around november 7th like rep arena and you get more like improvisational exploratory melodic stuff than just the like percussive sound with that. Like, yeah. Like, you know how many jams there were where it's like, it's just like doo, the, doo, the doo. boom, boom. And then it's like, <laughs> yeah. pew, pew, and everyone's like, <laughs> yes, and it's like two. <laughs> and then it happens in every jam of every show. Yeah. But, but the, the post like rup sound, I think maybe like right when Carl Perrazzo kind of jumps off, it's just a totally different tour, and it starts to lead into '97 much more than maybe I, I had given it credit for at the time. That's kind of my big um, theme. But um, if you guys want to talk about the rankings or, or anything else, or just what what your theme is,
1: yeah, I mean, I can talk a bit about the themes, and, and I'll jump into the rankings as well. I mean, well, actually, I'll kick it off with the ranking. Like I think, as we talked about this as we talked about the the overall 25 rankings i think we all instinctively knew that this tour had to be on it this is a very um for everything that you just discussed which i agree with it's both complimentary and also critical because this is a transitional moment in the band's history um they've talked about this like if you go back and read the fish book a lot of that book is about how trey was like i didn't like how we sounded in 1996 and we knew we needed to change it but we were also moving into arenas and we had to figure out a way to make all that work lo and behold they'll discover funk which is like perfect and like that sound in 97 is perfect for arenas but what you're describing now is kind of a samey approach to fill this room in a way that is in kind of opposition to what their strengths were in the years leading up to it um so we knew that this had to be on the list i think that as we reviewed the fan voted list, there are, I think I counted, there are four, maybe five tours that were not on the fan list that we included. Um, and as we were reviewing those and kind of making arguments for those strengths, this one felt to us like a great way to open the series because it showcases abandoned transition while playing a sound that is accessible, um, that leads into a really, really transformative moment in the band's history, but doesn't necessarily, it doesn't leave you with the like, here are six shows you have to listen to. Here are 15 jams you have to listen to. It's a little bit more sparse. Um, The last thing I'll say is, you know, that you hear them in the moment learning how to be an arena rock band. Um, You hear them starting to embrace democratic jamming and funk and groove and textures, as opposed to, let's go into a fugue or let's like make a lot of weird noise and try to freak everyone out. Like they're trying to connect with the audience more. Um, But it's also, and I'll talk about this a little bit later as well. This is like them being okay with public transition. Like things are not working perfectly every night from a technical standpoint, from a musical standpoint. And they are having to learn in the moment that that's like just kind of a deal. Like, to be who they are, that's just a part of the deal. So I'll pause there. I know that's a lot, but Meg, I don't know if you have any thoughts on the rankings as well as the themes.
2: Yeah, my thoughts kind of come follow your thoughts really well because I think there is an argument for having this tour higher up in the list because it is so important between this two huge peaks in the band's career. And I think about this band that's really exhausted after hitting this wild peak in 1995 And then they're also testing out the largeness of their machine. You know, this is big shows, big venues. This is the first year, full year that you don't have the Grateful Dead. So their scene just explodes. Tons of guests, lots of national attention. Like this is fish as a machine and they hadn't been that yet. And I hear throughout this tour, can we still take risks now that we're this big? Will those risks take us somewhere musically that inspires us? And can we still have fun? And I think that if you hear them tapping into like their old classics and playing them really well and stretching them out and then taking wild chances in songs that are new to them. And I think it's really exciting. It was so fun to listen back to because this was a really important year in my fish life. You know, I saw 17 shows this year. It was intense to be in this environment where musically it wasn't what it had been in 95 or 94 and thinking like, is this band going to go somewhere new? But then also just having the time of my life being on Fish Tour and being like less critical than I am now. So it was like this very balanced of like wanting more from them, but also just like loving every moment. But I remember getting all these tapes and I remember feeling really excited about it. And I loved returning to it too. It was fantastic. I hear them taking so many risks in these shows.
0: That's so interesting. Yeah. I want to talk more about that. I, I think um, when we already got yelled at on the internet, of course, for, for choosing this as number 25, I think both by people saying it was too high and too low. So, you know, we're, it's going to, it's going to happen throughout. So everyone just yeah. buckle up, you know, um, yell <laughs> louder,
1: guys, just yell.
0: Exactly. Louder. Yeah. I, I feel the risk thing. Like, I, I guess sort of what I was saying earlier, I, I don't really hear it until later. Like those October shows that don't seem particularly risky to me, but I but I might be just not.
2: Yeah, that's fair. I think it grows for sure, the yeah. idea of risk taking. But I do I mean, even thinking about those like Carl Peraza shows, like they're pretty risky. Like that cross eyed and painless. Yeah. I mean, that's wild. It's like, you know, they're they're playing some big, big, big jams. Like ninety six, you know, they didn't play a lot of twenty-five minute jams before this. Like, this is there's a lot of them in this tour. Yeah.
1: That moment seems pretty pretty like like that's a break to me you know the remaining yeah. light set is a huge they've been working on this and you start to hear hints of the remaining light set around october 26 that simple there's a mm-hmm. mike mm-hmm. song from october 29th but i agree like the early part of the tour It feels the, the, the first part, like basically from what the 15th through the 23rd, I don't know, you know, something in that range, those first eight shows feel very safe. And it feels like, you know, those are all arena shows. Those are, they're starting a tour that is going to go from East to West, not West to East. They're not going to end this tour in the Northeast like they did 1995, um like they did uh in you know in the in the late 80s early 90s all those tours would start the east go west and then loop back around this is similar to how the fall 94 tour uh, ended up where that that goes to california and if you recall like we may talk about that tour at some point but those like shows get gradually weirder and weirder you know you get the bozeman tweezer you get weird jams on the west coast there's olympia salem shows this is like I've got to imagine there's like a sensation in their minds when they're starting a tour and they know they're going to end at home. That is a Mm -hmm. bit more of like a homecoming, whereas this feels more like you're traveling out and there's no return until New Year's Eve. So those first shows are like in their home base and they feel to me like they're just playing the classics and they're just showcasing this pure side of fish intentionally or not for the last time. You know, these are the last shows that are going to have like Reba, Yem, Hood, Bowie, like Capstone, second set songs. So there's not a ton of even at MSG, there's not a ton of risk taking.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's unfortunate the, the probably the least two good MSG shows ever are the back to back shows here.
2: <laughs> yeah, probably. There, there's not
0: a lot. Of I remember getting the tapes and being like, oh, OK.
1: Um, it's like those and then 1230 from this year. Right. Is that how yeah. it goes?
2: yeah <laughs> pretty much <laughs> pretty much it's <laughs> too bad That was a joke um, it was too
1: bad.
2: too bad
0: um i you know i was looking at live fish earlier and you know there's so there's six releases from this tour and only three releases from fall 98 which i just think is like so interesting given how like and you know i i, I saw shows on this tour so like i feel like i'm not i feel like i'm allowed to say whatever i want about the 90s but <laughs> like Trey doesn't really play very much guitar on this tour. I guess that's part of my problem with it. <laughs> you know, it's a lot yeah. of drums. There's so
2: many jams that you're like, where did Trey go? Oh right, is, he's over there on that thing again.
0: <laughs> and I do think like post, you know, November seventh or so, it just or or maybe on the second when they when they played that um, jam you guys were talking about. But it just feels like then it just becomes much more of an like a guitar driven improv thing, where it just like early in the tour, it just feels like it's like it's just a lot of. I don't know. It's just a lot of mini kit. It's like a little too much mini kit for me. So I don't know. Maybe I'm in the minority.
1: There's a quote I remember from the fish book where he talks about certain moments during this tour that he hid behind his amplifier to just Mm. force the guys, the other guys to, especially page and Mike, to take the lead in, in jams. And and that sort of those exercises are going to pay off six months later. But right now, like, you imagine having Trey Anastasia in your band and him be like, I don't really want to play lead guitar tonight. Like what, the, what, what, who are we then?
2: And it's so different from how they've been jamming before. So it's, it's, and like you were saying, Brian, to do that in front of everyone, it takes wild confidence. I mean, this is, this is incredible stuff. You're playing your first year of full arenas and you're having to reinvent your sound and you're going to step back and not do what you've done all the time and not play lead guitar. Like it's pretty wild. <laughs>
1: Yeah, like artist reinvention isn't really like a new thing in rock music, but not a lot of bands. Like a lot of bands can go away, rehearse, take on a new sound, take on a new style, release an album. That album tells the story, and then the tour dictates it. Like Fish evolves on stage, and they like their shows are their rehearsals and their albums and their performances, like all in one. Yeah, and so like they didn't really have a choice to like in between the Clifford ball and this tour just be like, okay, we're going to become a new band and then come out and do that. Like they had to figure it out in the moment. And that's, that's really hard.
0: Yeah. 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 That's true. That's all, all true. And I forgot about that quote about yeah the, this was kind of the, the forced improv, you know, period. Yeah. Which, which I just think like, I just think it's over, I think it's overrated, like in general. But I'm very excited to talk about some representative gems of the tour. Are you guys
2: <laughs> totally On some, that note. Some overrated.
0: <laughs> I think, I do think most, like, I think that, I think a third of it is amazing, actually. And then I think two thirds of it is just like fine. I guess that's my,
2: but that's kind of what surprised me is how much of it was pretty good. Yeah. You know, yeah. For, for a year that was, is pretty, Derided and and yeah, not that's true. special that's true. that you've got these are a lot of really good jams in this tour. I would agree, Brian, that like full shows less so, but that's kind of like the '96 curse. Second sets, yes, but full shows mm.
1: compared to some tours that we we're going to talk about, it was easier to bounce around jams and yeah. some sets than it was to be like, okay, cool. I'm going to listen to this monster jam, but there's also this other segment that I have to listen to. So I now I might as well just listen to the whole show.
2: <laughs> yeah, like You
1: didn't have that issue here, no. but I do think like to RJ's point, and I think we'll get into this with the representative jams. There are jams that to my ears represent the sound of fall 96 that does get old. And I'm going to talk about two of them because I think they represent where the band was at and where they were trying to go, but couldn't quite get there. And on the back end of the tour, there are three gems in particular that I hear that sound like the band has actually figured out what the next sound is. And it is reincorporating Trey and moving away Mm -hmm. from the, uh, the, the, um, uh, the, the mini kit. But those are not... Like, those are just hints. Like, that's a hint of 97. We will we, we'll talk about this, but maybe we should go around and share some of our representative jams and give some examples here.
2: Yeah.
0: Megan, do you want to go first?
2: Yeah, sure. I mean, I do. We mentioned it a little bit, and maybe this is too obvious, but I just felt like it was weird to not talk about the Cross-Eyed and Painless from 11 to, from Coral Sky. Obviously, it's archival released. Obviously, the band knows it was important, but the first few so- seconds of this song are insane. Like the energy you just know is going to rip and putting that on, it's like you could run through a brick wall with it. Yeah. It's just, it's wild. It's incredible. Never lets up. You know, it goes through like a whole space section, but it's like all driven by this percussion, which maybe was boring RJ, but, um, it ends, no, like, I,
0: no, I this think like, this is, I think this is great.
2: I mean, this I is think is, like, it all is different goods. post Halloween. Yeah. And this is just, just a perfect combination of like energy, rhythm, and exploration. So this is when they I feel like they nailed it. I love this gem.
0: I, I feel like when I was listening to it again for this, you know, 100th time or whatever, first of all, it's just great how excited Trey is. And then he like asks if if everyone remembers that one. And yeah, It was like remember? Two days ago that like they this. played it. The, <laughs> <Yeah>. like, <laughs> he goes, no
2: waiting. He's like, like remember Wait, that one? got it? <laughs> well, the whole <laughs>
1: time they're all like, yeah, yeah, we know what you're talking about. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we get it.
2: We got it. But, We're good. But I, I do know the song.
0: Brian, I don't know if this ever occurred to you, um, but because, I and only asking you because you love 95, it almost like feels like this is where they like pick up where 95 left off. And then, but like in between Ooh. is like just this weird, like interstitial <laughs> period. And then it's like, Oh, this is where 95 like goes into 96. Like at, during that jam, I had that thought.
1: I think about that. Yeah, no, I, I, I hadn't like put it, that's succinctly, but I love that. I I think to both of what we've been talking about, the too much one sound versus challenging themselves and taking risks. I think you're absolutely right to use this gem, uh, Meg. This is a this like this speaks to what this tour is because you get you know, one or two days after Halloween, you suddenly hear them already applying lessons learned from the talking heads to fish. It does not sound like the talking heads anymore. Yeah. Like they do a really good job of reinterpreting that album on Halloween. And two nights later, they're playing one of those songs, but it's now a fish song. And Crosshead yeah. is now, you know, it's it's a fish song. It's also a goose song, but it's you know, it's a fish song. Um, but I think <laughs> that kind of chunky and they're gonna still play like this. Actually, one of my gems is like this, but that chunky kind of uh, approachable dance percussion music that becomes a bit repetitive in Fall 96 is here, but it's also here with a lot of weirdness and distortion, which is something they didn't touch as much throughout the rest of November, which is kind of surprising to me. And that's where I hear the 95 and the 97. Like that weirdness yeah. along with the grooves is something that is that like really retains the vibe of fish.
0: I think um, I just I'm gonna go um, just quickly to the like chronologically maybe the next one that would be on the list, which mm-hmm. was one of like the Rup the Rup Jin. Um, this is one of those shows that like to me really highlights the difference between how things are like today versus in the '90s. Like, like basically once the tapes were available for this show, it, like you had to like it was like it was definitely the most um, discussed tape of that tour, like including Halloween. Mm-hmm. And I think that's partially because it like felt like a a turning point. Like, I think this, you know, first of all, like just to jam the song like that and, and they have the mini kit kind of, you know, set up on it, but it's also just, there's like this melodic jam, you know, for the first 15 minutes or something. And then they kind of break it down into like a more percussive thing for them for the last half. And it's just like, I, I just, I think that it, I think that it like kind of changed things at least as a as a fan of my age at the time. It was like, oh shit, this if this is like what's you know, if this is what this is going to be like moving forward, you know, then like great. I mean, I think it was the longest longest version to date and just has this yeah. it's multi-part, trays leading pages on these other kind of, you know, keyboards and stuff. There's there's like And then they kind of like do this weird ending i mean it's really it's a pretty phenomenal jam still
2: i love this jam
1: yeah i mean when you talk about the idea of like a tentpole jam that everyone had to have i mean i remember becoming a fish fan five years later and starting to you know understand what tapes do I need to get, how do, what what do I need to trade for, what jams do I need to hear, and just hearing Rep Gin over and over and over again—that was just how it was known. It was you know it was one of those jams that like there is a venue slash name for it. That um, if you haven't heard it, you don't really know the full picture of what this band is doing.
0: Yeah, Brian, what are you, where are you going?
1: So I'm actually going to um, trip up your chronological presumption and go the (laughs) night before uh uh 11 6 in in um in knoxville tennessee uh the mike song this is kind of what i was getting at like it's 23 24 minutes for whatever reason it is notated as mike's song into jam but it is my this is a mike song jam you guys we we can update the tapes here and just have it be a 23 minute mike song um I think the thing that's fascinating about this is there's three mic songs throughout the year or throughout the tour 1029, 116 and 124 that kind of speak to what um, <sighs> you were talking about, RJ, of just like this defined sound that kind of feels like it's overused by the end of the tour. Here it feels that happy medium of like extended, candy coated grooves that you just want to like dance to, like, there's no end. But then you kind of listen back to it and you're like, okay, what's the next idea? You know, the thing that always defines Fish is, you think about the uh, Island Tour Roses. There's like three or four defined segments in that where they reach this really cool plane of music and this really cool idea that never would have come about if they hadn't gone through the other segments. But then they leave that and they find another segment. Like, those are the best jams. This doesn't really have that. Like, this goes through a Mike song, second jam and then into this like very rhythmic second kit type of jam but it's so fun it's so danceable and it sounds to me like this band that is figuring out more than anything else that simplicity is what's going to allow them to connect and is what is going to allow them to create this really hypnotic environment in an arena that people are just going to keep wanting to come back to so while it's not the best jam it feels to me like both the happy medium of where the band was at in the moment but also where they were realizing they should be going as they continue to move forward.
2: And it's got that swept away steep following it which like they put to such good use on this tour. They should do that more often.
1: Drink every time you fade out of a jam and you hear the chords of swept away start.
2: To <laughs> uh, totally. <laughs> really
1: really nice, but it's like every jam it's amazing.
2: Every jam. I know. They should do it now though sometimes it'd be so good.
0: Yeah. That and, and the vibration of life every, yeah, it's like, <laughs> gotta like, I'm just so excited to tell everyone about it. Every, Trey's every like, time. so
2: we do this thing. Uh.
1: <laughs> Think about it. They had so few ballads at this point in time and they did like life boy, every other show in 94 and yeah. 95. It was like, they had, they had nothing to go. I guess they could have done waste, but.
2: It, yeah. so, it must've been so weird though for them, you know, for somebody that talked to the audience as much as Trey used to, then all of a sudden to be in these like huge rooms and like figuring out like, how do we do that here? Like do we do that anymore? I don't know, it must have been interesting.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's it's wild. Um Okay, where where are we going next, Megan?
2: Okay, I feel like you guys might be annoyed with this, but I really think it's important to, to talk about the Simple from 1026 in Charlotte. Yeah, that's great. It is, you know, the type one part of the jam is played with so much interest. And you can really hear them like working together to make really textured music. You've got Paige on the piano and Fishman is doing all those textures and Trey's like finding this groove on top of them. And I think when it goes type two, there's just a lot of communication in a way that I think they would get to more later in the tour. And I think that it's that example of them kind of using percussion and and in a really good way and finding their way. I think it's cool to think about a band in this moment when they haven't found their next groove, but they're like trying to figure it out. And I love listening to the jam, this jam and thinking about where they were at this point. So I think it's, I don't know, kind of important to have on the list.
0: Yeah. I think it was on my list. I mean, I think it's in, I think it's a, it's, it's great. Totally larger list.
1: It's it's definitely big.
0: Yeah. I mean, it has like a, um, I guess it has just like a little bit of a representative. I mean, it's, it's truly representative yeah. of the tour. You know, like it has, it has everything, but, but it's also, it has a, a cool ending kind of thing that goes into McGrup. It's, I think it's a good, I think it's a standout mini kit jam.
2: Yeah.
1: On well, simple you know? is a big song on fall 96. I think having the first exactly. really big simple, uh, is a good signpost yeah. of where the band was going.
0: Yeah. Megan, I thought that was so smart. That was actually my second. So,
1: Oh,
2: good.
0: Yeah. So, you know, um, that's why I think she wins the, the drafts, man. I know she really does. I'm just gonna I put in um, work,
2: guys. I put in the work.
0: I guess I'm just gonna call an audible here, and I I, really I can give you my number
2: four if you want. Mm, just okay. you okay. I was just it.
0: gonna. I was gonna talk about something in the first in a first set because I think these first sets are like extremely <laughs> lame for the most part.
2: <laughs> Boring. You know, it's just like
0: oh god, another like you know, like if. My my worst nightmare going to a fish show is a first set where the longest song is "Son of a Mule." So just like, <laughs> like I'm just like, no, come on, you guys, you can't. Or where like, they really play
2: "Son of a Mule" at all? Is just yeah, me. right, Probably. right. But
0: certainly when it's like, oh yeah, like you know what was great about that set? It had a "Son of a Mule" in it. That's that's that's, <laughs> that's danger territory. I think you guys might disagree. I don't,
2: I don't think I listened to one full set on this whole project we've been on for this. It just. I, don't I know. think we great. need
1: to book down an episode for later this year of Fish Nightmares and we can just talk yeah. through <laughs> spend an hour talking through our fish nightmares and if we've ever lived
0: them because yeah. I I've, totally. I've lived
1: two of mine.
0: Oh man. <laughs> That's a good one. That's actually a good one and we should ask our uh, <laughs> we should ask our listeners to to send theirs in too. That would be um, good voice, guys. All right. Well, I actually thought that there was an early uh, there's an early <laughs> This is not working. As you say, there was an early tour first set, bathtub Gin, that I thought was great. And now I can't remember when it was. But um, Brian, what's your what's your second?
1: So uh, my second is in a similar vein to my first because I was just kind of thinking about like where the band actually was, not necessarily where they were going. I have a few towards the back end that I will mention that like are more transgressive. But this one, I think it's really important because the band... One of the things that fascinates me about this tour is this is the last time you will see on their set list songs like Bowie, Yem, Hood, Reba, that are played as the standard, like in, in a very standard, good version, as the capstone moments of a second set. It's mm-hmm. it, It's also the emergence of like Down with Disease as a jam vehicle, um, and and the darkness that you could get out of those songs. But it's also the last time where like like that Auburn Hills show is like Bowie, Hood. And I think Reba, you know, um, uh, Yem, uh, midway through the second set. Just classic fish songs, the way that they would play them in the 80s and 90s. And you just don't see that anymore. So I was thinking like, there has to be a Yem that we showcase. And Fall 96 is really, really good for Yems. The version from 11.7 is outstanding. The version from... Uh, I think it's Daily City, 1129 is really good, but the one that I always come back to and that really is a signpost of Fall 96 for me is the version from 1119, um, which is a show I'm going to mention in a little bit as well on a larger standpoint, but this is the Groove Is In The Heart Yem, yeah. which is a pop hit from the early 1990s, the type of song that Feels tailor made for Fish to cover in a joking manner, um, and have Mike Gordon sing. And lo and behold, that is what happens here with this with this jam. It goes into such a like like a, an infectious groove midway through the um, uh, the jam portion of Yem. And I don't know where they find themselves in the rhythm and in the melody for uh, "Groove Is in the Heart." And Mike just starts screaming it, and Trey joins him. <laughs> And it kind of reminds me that this is, like, also the last time that humor is going to find a way into their jams. Like, by 1997 Mm. and 1998, and then going into 2.0, like, jamming is serious business. Like, they don't mess around in a jam. There's less, like... I would say until like we got to the woos, there's less like participation. There's more just like, we're going to play this music. It's going to get dark and then it'll get bright and then dark again. And it's going to go on for like 24 minutes and we'll come out of it into a ballad. This is the last time where they could play like a 26 minute long song and you can laugh in the middle of it. Like every time I listen to this, I cannot stop moving and I cannot stop laughing at the fact that they're playing it. So that is something that they're going to move away from, but like, still that is fish.
0: that's a good one. That's a good, like I'm not big on like the gimmicky stuff, but, but I, but I, I, I'm think, not usually you, either. I think you're right though. It's, it's great. Um, you know, we didn't t- we haven't talked about Halloween yet and maybe we Talk will in the, in the next segment, but I will just tell you that the Reba from, I think that's the best first set jam of the, of the tour. Um, the Reba from 1031 is just, it's, it's really pretty remarkable. I think, I feel like Reba and Hood were both like really strong in ninety-six. Um, but this is a a really like you can tell that they're like, you know, ready. They're ready for the Halloween show. And it just it's it's very spirited and just beautiful. So I wanna get you a about, the first set jam.
1: You talk about first sets being a bit down on this tour, and it is wild to think that like by seven months from now, summer nineteen ninety-seven. This band is going to jam extensively in the first sets, almost in a way that feels like a like kind of clapback at this era of fish And it's like, look, we can play weird music anywhere in the show. We don't yeah. have to yeah. play like song, 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 song.
0: Yeah. Like the eleven six 6 show you mentioned, which, which has that amazing mics, like the first set is just like... You could just look at the lit at the timings and the set list and be like, okay, I'm good. Let's just go to this like it's just really <laughs> good
1: played versions of yeah, pretty standard songs. It's yeah, yeah, nothing wrong with it. It just like isn't the most compelling re listen.
0: Yeah, I think that's the yeah, yeah exactly. Um, okay, let's take a very quick break and then we're gonna get into the the final segment, the final countdown.
3: Hey everyone, this is Tuck from Fit for a King in Off Road Minivan.
0: Hey, listeners, I want to tell you about one of our great partners, DistroKid. DistroKid makes music distribution fun and easy with unlimited uploads and artists keeping 100% of their royalties and earnings. If you're a musician and looking to get your music out there, DistroKid is the way to go. DistroKid is available for iOS and Android and is now available in Apple's App Store and the Google Play Store. More than a million artists rely on DistroKid to get their music onto Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram and all other major streaming services. And with DistroKid, you can upload new releases, see your financial progress, get notified when you've earned royalties, withdraw money from the app, view and share links, check your streaming stats, and a whole lot more. DistroKid has more features than any other music distributor. Check them out today. Go to distrokid.com slash VIP slash helping friendly. That's distrokid with a capital K. dot com VIP slash helping friendly. For a special offer. Thanks, Ticho Kid. All right, we can't, we can't, we can't finish this without talking about shows. We've talked about a lot of shows, but I guess first, let's talk about the, our our two don't miss shows of the tour, and then let's talk about our what like the defining sound and takeaway. Unless the defining sound or takeaway mixes in with your two don't miss shows. I'd really like to you adjust. to
1: kick this off since you always make us kick off these segments. What, <laughs> yeah, what is your we won't first, take yours now. <laughs> what is one of your first defining shows of the tour, representative shows?
0: So, okay. So it's hard because representative shows are like the obvious ones. I'm, I kind of chose two here that I think were representative, but maybe not as popular, um, which the first one is 11-3. I think it's like a really... It's not a really highly highly rated um, show, but first of all, just having Carl Perazzo on the entire show with no Halloween thing or huge jam—it's just like man, it's crazy having two drummers, right? They're just like the energy is super high. They—it's really fun. I just I'm contradicting what I just said two minutes ago, <laughs> which is because I really like the first set, even though there's no like jams. It's just like it's really high energy and and fun. And then the tweezer in the second set, I think, is. Like, it's nice to have a, a second drummer, but it, I think it sounds like a kind of proto-97 jam, and you can, like, hear it happening, because I think the 11-2 show was, like, you know, about that cross sides They're playing Talking Heads. I feel like this tweezer, like, they're, like, morphing into 97. Um, I really liked going back to that show. I don't even know. I might not have had the tapes or something, because I don't really remember listening to the show very much, but... It's a good one because I think like you get the extra percussion, but then you get kind of a little bit of a, you know, you're heading into 97 for the first, first time.
1: Yeah, it's good. And I think it is representative in the sense that like you get a lot of Billy breathe songs. And then you get this jam segment, mm-hmm. and the second drummer nature of the show really adds to like a pretty distinct chunk of the tour, which was late October and early November, where um Carl Prazo kind of helped to give rhythmic, kind of in- induced rhythm into the band.
0: I like, I think Trey, I think Carl Perrazzo is a better second drummer than Trey. And then in <laughs> this case, <I>
2: totally agree.
0: <laughs> and in this case, Trey's also playing guitar while they're both playing. So it's like, oh yeah, this sounds pretty cool. What what do you guys got?
1: So I will go with my first, and this is um this is a show that's very near and dear to my heart. Um, this is eleven nineteen ninety six from Kansas City, Missouri. Um, this second set is my favorite set of fall tour. Um, but I do think it's representative beyond just the um, you know, the passion I have for this. Uh, you have a first set that is very much in line with what we've talked about here. Yamar, Bag, Foam, Theme from the Bottom, Mound, Stash, Fee, Taste, Loving Cup. And it sounds exactly as it reads. It is very standard good. Like this band could play their songs at this point in time. And every song has energy, but nothing really like hints to something beyond what the song is. And from a re-listen standpoint, it's not what everyone's it's not what I'm always seeking, but it was fun to go back and listen to this and hear this band just like precisely play their songs. Um, Set two though, Bowie, the day in the life bathtub gin into vibration of life into the aforementioned uh, you enjoy myself with Groovers in the heart jamming uh, star spangled banner. As they worked up towards their performance at the LA forum uh, in early December and then fire with an encore of, squirming coil like this is fish 1996 meets fish 1997 it's not super far out there there's not a ton of like there's not really funk, but the Bowie gets into a weird atmospheric space. And then they kind of retreat and they play A Day in the Life. Very straightforward, but excellent cover choice. Jin gets into a really watery and melodic and beautiful zone before they go into Vibration of Life. They dedicate that to the crew because we're still at a point where like the fish community, like the fish you know, universe is so still small and they're trying to celebrate this crew that's doing all this work in, in these arenas you enjoy myself I talked about and then you get an acapella song because of course and then we close out with another really well played straight ahead um uh uh, uh cover before one of their best encore songs squirming coil like this this show just sounds like fall 96 to me in the best ways possible
2: yeah this was my second choice I love the show and the first set also is good like Yamar bag and stash are excellent versions and then they have that like jammed out loving cup to close that set it's good stuff
0: Very good. Megan, what do you got for your pick?
2: Well, I really tried to pick shows that weren't archivally released because I thought it'd be fun to kind of think about what else is out there that's really great. And my choice is 1116 from Omaha. Mm. And mainly because this wild second set is so weird and playful, major old school, early 90s vibes in this set. It opens with LaGrange. Bring this back. It's such a great opener. You've got a huge jammed out Runaway gym next. There's just tons of fish madness in this set. You've got Vibration of Life, RJ's favorite. Into Kong, into Catapult, into axela. Like, can you imagine? Like, if they played this now, people would be, like, on the floor. It's so fun. Then you've got this wild Harry Hood where there's silly references to, like, Lee, Fordham. And this is just them sounding like they're having so much fun, but also playing really, really great music, too. And... I like the show a lot and it surprised me. I hadn't listened to it in a long time.
1: This Harry hood is also the, the note Harry hood. Trey holds the note. Oh yeah. Like four and a half minutes or something as the rest of the band <laughs> plays around. I'm like little, little tricks like that as yeah. the band is he's trying to figure out ways to let them showcase themselves.
2: Yeah. It's, it's, it's a really great good.
0: show. Really good. Um, I will say that I never, I've never seen vibration of life. The last time they played it was when they played it twice <laughs> on this tour. So, um you know we've talked about the two times they played it but i i swear i heard it like most shows i, back to this
2: <laughs> I don't remember hearing it a lot and i saw a lot of shows in 96
0: yeah and yeah and then they it's never happened apparently it was teased in harpua on new year's eve is that like a thing that i missed
1: uh, I think that yeah, I think you're absolutely right. It was teased. Uh, I remember a reference to it, but um, I'd need to go back and re-listen. Yeah, uh, again to know okay. exactly All what right. it was.
0: I just wanted to make sure I wasn't like missing something major. You guys were like, yeah, obviously. Um, you can say that anyway. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm going. I'm just going to take us one show later from 11:6, um, 6, 16. Sorry, to 11:18, which has this. Um, I don't know like a lot of these a lot of these first sets like i mentioned are just you know whatever but this is this is a pretty fun one there's a good chalk dust um it's it's fairly like i don't know like you said brian they're all really well played it's not like a first set of in 3.0 where it's like a bunch of songs like not well played and you're like ooh, this is like not boating like it it, it's good you know um but this we really get like the first ever jammed out 2001 and then another great simple i think we've talked about the kind of uh importance of i think simple is the the song of the tour and yes this is yeah. you know this is really like if, if they get beyond the kind of improv of the of the previous month and there's this really just it's like trade just Soloing and and it's really great into swept away again as usual um, <laughs> and then there's also a tweezer with trumpet so like it's it's a fun set fun set
1: this simple compared to the eleven eight one from ten days earlier is a really interesting kind of A B test of where the band was going because the one from eleven mm. eight feels a lot more in line with this kind of big rhythmic three drummer uh fish jams that we heard in late october early november whereas this one trey is kind of back at the forefront um and he's he's playing lead guitar again in a way that matches where the band is at which is going to lead them to like the disease from seattle um uh the simple again from las vegas where it's a little bit more yeah full band rather than him trying to step back yeah my next pick is also a pick for a later segment here on the show, which um, we'll see. Maybe we'll collaborate on. Maybe we'll be in disagreement on. Um, but this is 12 one This show is one of my favorite shows of all time. Um, this show speaks to... That, that, that idea I was talking about earlier of like them playing their classic songs and their classic songs being representative of who Fish was still in 1996 before they, if you recall, they retire, quote unquote, a bunch of songs in early 1987. And they don't play them for most of the first half of the year. Some of those songs go away for a longer period in time. But this is still the period where like they're playing their songs. This show is a full on rock show. Where they are playing some of their best, most energetic rock songs, but then they also have space in set two to still jam and to start jamming in weird ways. This tweezer has some oh, really weird it. stuff that happens on the back end, you know. Um, but like this show opens with peaches into poor heart into Ca- cavern into cars, trucks, buses into character zero, and then you get a pause just to get the curtain into down with disease and the first like actual. Quiet song is train song horse and silent in the morning. Before you end with sample and run like an animal, like this is a aggressive high energy show just and packed. everything just just packed. Second set you get tweezer into sparkle into simple into day in the life, which is a direct segue into day in the life. Really cool Reba, swept away steep because of course into tweezer reprise into Johnny Be Good into slave to the traffic light with a highway to hell encore. This is such a jam packed show. And it like, Oh my God. It's just like you press play on peaches and you don't want to let up. And the band's just like meeting you and matching the energy. It's so much fun to listen to. And this sounds like a band that has learned how to connect with an audience over the course of a month in a giant arena but is ready for whatever's next. Like that pack half of the tweezer is so weird and so aggressive to me. So that's my other pick. I absolutely love that.
2: I love when we got to talk about that for 40 for 40 for 96. It yeah. was really fun. And that tweezer, I love how it bleeds into the sparkle in the beginning of the sparkle is like demented and weird because of the tweezer. It's like, totally. It's, it's very cool stuff.
0: I think, um, Brian, just for people who don't, like maybe weren't listening or weren't there like a sample into antelope to close a, a first set is not like a sample antelope to close the first set right now. Like it's right.
2: <laughs> you get like
0: you're like, like you would hear an antelope and it would like, it would fuck, it would fuck up your whole like life. It's like, yes. it's not the it's energy.
2: Not, yeah, absolutely. Which is
0: crazy, you know? The way and that it, they
2: would release tension in those antelopes was yeah. wild. Yeah.
0: Really, really wild. So I just want to, like, you know, you end a set with antelope. It's just like, God. Um, I I want to mention 1019, which is, I don't, have we talked about any o- October shows besides? We haven't yet, have we? we Not full shows. No. Now,
3: no.
0: I think 1019, I remember getting these tapes. Um, Again, like, a, you know mid rated um show on on fishnet but i was thinking about it because when you were talking about the that show brian this second set you get a split open and a melt fluff head and antelope all really like like well played and like a really really great fluff head but like to get a really crazy split open and melt and a like ridiculous fluff head and a ridiculous antelope all in one set was that 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 show was pretty awesome Do you guys have an honorable mention show?
2: Um, Yeah, I would say 1127 in Seattle. I mean, it's an archival release, so people know about it. But just this is a great first set jam with theme. Really cool. It's only like nine minutes, but it's really strong, really powerful. And then, of course, the Down With Disease from the show is awesome. So it gets out there. It's driving. Then you have that like wild son of a mule. And then... In a tweezer with that sweet emotion jam, and probably one of the best segues of the tour back into the downward disease. That I listened to that segue a couple times today, and it's just incredible. Like it sounds so good. Trey sounds completely in control. It's definitely worth listening to.
1: Yeah, that disease really does start to. That sounds like a '97 jam in a yeah, lot of ways. Yeah. Like it's it's got that dark, sinister funk groove to it that they haven't fully discovered. Um, I'd be remiss not to mention Vegas. Uh, I mentioned the sample, but got to like, I mean, I'm just going to read the set list. Like Wilson, Peaches, Poor Heart, 2001, Llama. You Enjoy Myself, Cars, Trucks, Buses, Disease, Frankenstein. That is the first set. This is that is unlike any first set played the entire tour and kind of speaks to that thing we will hear as we get in 297, where they approach a first set as though it's a second set. The idea that darkness and weirdness and random song selection and jamming can happen happens in this first set. Um, set two, Julia Sparkle. I'm not sure I'd recommend that to anyone out there, but, you know, it's that's how we open the second set. Mike's Simple Hood, weekapog Sweet Adeline, Good Times, Bad Times. And then the encore is this gigantic Harpua, elvis impersonator yodelers suspicious minds craziness that ends with a giant Susie greenberg with horns and less claypool and primus it's just wild stuff like oh. this show everybody knows it this was officially released but this show is kind of this is the this is the end of this fish era and the beginning of the next era of fish kind of all in one
2: It was wild. I was there. I remember this show. This is, I saw three shows on this tour and this is the only one I remember, but I didn't have tickets and we rolled into Vegas and we could not get tickets anywhere. And my girlfriend and I were out. I think we were like smoking a cigarette or something. we were out by where they were like loading in and everything. And the trucks were there. And so we were talking to the crew and they're like, we don't have tickets, but they gave us sweatshirts. And so we were walking around with these like fish crew sweatshirts on all day. And so someone came up to us and was like, do you guys need tickets? And they we were like, yes. And just gave us two tickets to go into the show because this <laughs> kind of thing happened in the 90s all the time. And we went into the show and I took way, I was like puddled, not intentionally, very scary, did not know what was going on, especially towards the end of the show. Ended up somehow, I have no idea how, later in, I think it's the Luxor. Is that the... Um, The casino that looks like a castle. I think it's the Luxor. I'm not sure. Excalibur. Okay. So I was there and I couldn't figure out how to get out. And I was by myself and I was in the corner of one of those casinos, just crying and um, writing poetry in my head and wondering if I would ever be okay again. But I was, someone found me, but that night was wild. I've never seen a crowd as unhinged as that. I haven't been back to Vegas for fish since it was lunacy. People were crazy. It It was wild.
0: Wow. I don't know if we can even follow that up with anything. I feel like that's like kind of it. Megan just just summarized it. But what what's your (laughs) takeaway?
1: Well, we have to do one thing before we get to our takeaways. Okay. We have to nominate a show. We're gonna do this for every tour that we think should be officially released from this tour. So quickly, no rationale, what is your guys' nomination pick? Let's let's figure this out.
2: I'm going to say either Omaha or Um,
0: 12-1.
1: 11-15. I'm going 12-1 as well. That's my pick. Yeah. Should on. we should we put that in for Shapiro? Say, Kevin Shapiro, please release this show, twelve one. I
0: mean, every third live release is a fall '96, so it's going to happen.
2: <laughs> <laughs> some because point. it's such a great era. I mean, come just, on.
0: Just kidding. No, twelve <laughs> one would be great. I think eleven fifteen is really. It's it's a fun show. It has a, It's like very high energy. It was fun to go back to. It was very like, you know, collected at, in the in back in the day. But it kind of all works as a show. It's it's a fun show. Um, yeah. What's your takeaway, Brian?
1: Um, I' have two. sorry. Uh, you asked me for one. I give you two. Um, I think number one, this is uh, the realization that for fish to be fish, transitional periods are going to happen and that they are an essential part of fish history. Uh, for both of fans and the band, you know, this idea that we love this sound, but it's going to go away and something new is going to come, and it may be harder to find that than people want um, but the fact that the band challenges themselves in real time to push beyond what they're good at towards something else is why we continue doing this um, the other is that finding this new sound which is going to ultimately define the next half decade of their career like what they're going to discover on this tour is who fish is going to sound like through the end of 1.0 and even in parts of mm. 2.0 it was harder than I think anyone could have imagined. And you hear a lot of shows, as we talked about, um, that feel repetitive, that feel like the band is just kind of waiting in the same zones. By the end of this, it is they are going to be a new band. Like This period is an essential work in progress that has some really, really cool moments that I think we all love, while also realizing that the best is yet to come from a sonic standpoint.
2: Yeah, I agree. I think for me, the by the time you get to Vegas and you get to that like simple hood, that beautiful moment they have in Vegas, there's a sense of relief. And I can hear them kind of after a year that's so much growth and so much has changed in the scene and so much pressure is on them and they're reinventing themselves in the moment the fact that they're also able to still have fun and enjoy this tour and you can hear them kind of gaining confidence as the tour goes on and trying things and taking risks. It's exciting. And I, I have a newfound appreciation for this tour and what they accomplished.
0: I think it's like, um, like I said earlier, like there's kind of conventional wisdom that like 97, like the 97 sound came out of, Halloween and I think like after going through this it's just like much more nuanced than that and it's if you really want to be like nerdy about it like it didn't really I don't know how much Halloween actually affected that 97 sound.
2: <laughs> well they I were mean, looking for that before right like Trace yeah. talked about them like being on the tour bus in Europe and listening to James Brown and wanting to find that groove and make people dance and that was before Remain in Light. I
1: mean yeah. they
2: chose Remain in Light for a reason.
1: Yeah. yeah. And right? I, I, I think, I think yeah. it's where both of you guys are at. I, I don't know if Halloween 96 is the show where they walk off stage and are like, okay, that's new sound. I think that that new sound is lingering and that that performance is like once they've played that sound and only that sound for people, then they realize, okay, this is what we should continue incorporating into the live show. Because up until then, you only hear it in very small snippets, which means that they were rehearsing it.
2: Mm-hmm. But until they
1: play it, you know, so it's a, it's a bit of both. I think there's nuance, but also like without playing that, sh- that set live, they don't realize like what that has the possibilities
0: to do for them.
2: Yeah. And I think I texted you both, but listening to that set again, was really moving. It's an incredible set when they cover that album. Yeah. Wow.
0: Yeah, it really is it's crushing. It really is. It's not a very long album either, which is like, you know, I remember listening to it a lot on the, on, you know, after fish played and it's not like, you know, that set goes by pretty fast. Yeah, it does. You know.
2: Um
1: whatever we can do to continue getting Brian Eno's influence on Fish, I am I am here for. It is it is everything.
0: <laughs> I also think like the the sound of Billy Breeze being so prominent in here and kind of leading to more like space figuratively and literally is interesting and kind of a chicken and egg thing I guess for like the 97 like jams where there's a lot of quiet space in the, in the jams. It feels like there's like, I don't know if the Billy breeze material influenced that or if it's just like how they were thinking at the time, but it it really does like lead to a lot of those kind of more spacey 97, um, slower, slower points.
1: I like this note here from Brian Tompkins, sunrise mates like Michael Ray influenced and participated on surrender the air released in Mm -hmm. early 96. Um, I feel like to what you're talking about right now, RJ, that like, uh, like searching for kind of quieter areas, searching for space, spaces where they didn't have to play so many notes to really get the emotions and the experimentation across. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of that, like those Surrender the Air shows and that album really showcases Trey just reaching way outside of his immediate influences into a space that without that, I don't think that they're necessarily um playing as quiet as nuanced as they would through ninety seven so it's a lot of things it's remaining light and other moments,
0: yeah, yeah, so that is that is fall ninety six and we we i think we did a pretty good job of i mean just not of this episode necessarily you all can tell us that, but just we just thirty <laughs> thirty five shows I feel like we summarized it well and kind of sampled it um let us know what you think next week we have a fifty four show tour, and you know the clock's ticking. So we we got, wow, we got a lot. so
2: much work to do,
0: but but I think it's and also you can't really like jump around. You got to kind of go in on a show for this tour. Um, yeah. Are we telling them what the tour is or do we wait? I
1: don't I know. Th- what do you think? I think we can reveal it at the end of each yeah. episode. That's okay, cool. All
0: right. So, Brian, what's our spring? What's our what's our spring? Nineteen ninety two. Number twenty four ranked tour.
1: So spring nineteen ninety two was ranked number 34 by the audience.
0: Yeah. Wow. Number 34.
1: Wow. We made a... We bumped it up. We yeah. we made a call here. We said, this is... look at we are... We run the ship. We need to do what's right by the band. Okay? Spring 92, this is an important moment in the band's history. There are some important segments. There's one very, 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 very important thing that happens. I will reveal next week. But it had to be on this list. (laughs) We'll talk more about it. Spring 92. Let us know if we got that right or wrong, even though we know we got it right.
2: Get pumped. Let's go to the West Coast.
3: Osiris. Osiris.